Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of the AirPod. And my my my, seven days have gone by but it does feel like an incredibly long time since I last spoke to you because so much has happened. Uh, this week started with the Sandringham Summit as the papers called it which saw Harry sit down with his grandmother Prince Charles, Prince William uh, to hash out um, a sort of results of uh, Harry and Meghan's request to step back as senior members of the royal family and that was where I last left you. Uh, we were just a few days into the story and a lot has happened since then. Uh, I'm not alone this week, I'm joined by Victoria Arbiter in New York, royal commentator and a friend of the show. Thank you for joining us Victoria, we've got a lot to talk about this week. Thank you for having me Omid, it's Friday. Let's just take comfort in that. This is the first day of the week that I've actually felt like it was that day of the week, because on Monday, it also felt like Friday, <laughs> as did Tuesday. <laughs> so true. It's It sort of feels like a marathon. I mean, we've, we've talked a little over the last few days about how there's never been a royal story in our time period of covering the royals that we've covered quite to this degree. And I think it's just promises to keep on going. It really does. Um you know, I'm trying to even think where to begin. Uh, the week started with this Sandringham summit that, you know, the build up to that was was a couple of days. And, uh, you know, the weekend sort of had put it forward as this very dramatic face to face encounter with Harry and the Queen, Prince William, Prince Charles, to finally discuss what it was that the Sussexes wanted moving forward. I think it's safe to say that the couple got what they wanted? It certainly looks like it so far. Um, but of course, in in that royal world, they gave a little bit of news while giving no news at all. Um, we, we just really got confirmation that Canada is, for the time being at least, the country of choice in terms of settling outside the UK. But I think really what I took away from the face-to-face, certainly... In, in the years that I've been covering the Royals, Omid, watching my dad many, many years ago covering the Royals, I have never known senior Royals come together face-to-face quite like this. And uh, if we look back to the 90s, when the Queen was urging Charles and Diana to divorce, she was sending them letters. Nobody was coming together face-to-face. So I think this really was the Queen, in her very pragmatic way, bringing the family together because there's nothing like being face-to-face for remembering there's a very human person at the end of the aggro. There's a human person that's experiencing the angst and the upset and the hurt. So at least by bringing everybody into the same room, in a room that holds so many personal memories as well, I think the goal for the Queen was not just to find a solution for the Sussexes, although that's uh, primary concern, but also just to get this family talking again. Yeah, and I think that's been the the balance that has probably been a struggle for everyone that's involved in the suit, particularly the Queen, is sort of thinking about this from the family perspective, but also as the current monarch. You know, she has, as we saw from the statement that followed that Sandringham summit, uh, it was very personal. I think one one thing I said in in some of my commentary at the start of the week is that Harry would have been going into that meeting hoping that he was going to be sitting down with his grandmother and not the 93-year-old Queen. And I think that the statement that followed showed us that he was, in fact, in a meeting with his grandmother. Um, I actually want to read it out just for anyone that wants a quick recap. She said, Today my family had a very constructive discussion on the future of my grandson and his family. 
my family and I are entirely supportive of Harry and Meghan's desire to create a new life as a young family. Although we would have preferred them to remain full-time working members of the royal family, we respect and understand their wish to live a more independent life as a family, while remaining a valued part of my family. I just have to step out of this for a second. That is a lot of families, but we'll we'll get on to that shortly. That is a lot of families. But uh, Omid, I think you raise a really important point here because it's very easy for us on the outside. We're used to the Queen taking care of us, the public first. Um, and she's been criticised in the past because uh, there's a sense that she's cold and unfeeling and insensitive towards her family. But we have to remember that she's trying to present herself as head of state first. And in this instance, this is a classic case of where she's wearing so many hats, but she has to find a solution moving forwards that works and is acceptable to the British public, that accommodates all of the Sussex's wishes, but also is a solution that is going to be conducive to the running of the institution of monarchy. Now, there's been a lot of talk this week. Is Harry and Meghan's big announcement the beginning of the end for the monarchy? I think Mm. that's a a very dramatic jump from Harry and Meghan (laughs) wanting to leave. No, I don't think it is. But it is a crucial, crucial crossroads where the Queen has to find a solution that perhaps sets up a blueprint for future royals, but more importantly, really gives everyone everything it is that they want while calling, mm. causing minimal damage. Yeah, it was, it was very interesting because in a way this statement showed that she was in control of the situation and I think that was something that the, the family were keen to do publicly very quickly is to show that they had a handle on this and that they didn't have, you know, Harry and Meghan running amok and doing their own thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But in a way she had no choice but to put this statement out because the manifesto, the proposition that the Sussexes put forward on their website really gave her no other option other than to give them what they wanted because, of course, if the royal family didn't turn around and allow them to, I guess, quote-unquote, leave, then it would have the optics of that would have been terrible. It would have sort of gone back to a darker time that we were in, you know, some decades ago. Yes, I think she was in a very difficult position, wasn't she? And I think perhaps, uh, in as much as we can speculate, Harry probably regretted putting his grandmother in that kind of position. He's so very close to her. They've shared a warm, affectionate relationship always. Um, I think Harry felt like his hand was forced and there's no question that will have been Mm. incredibly frustrating for him. Yet again, a a tabloid that he's already incredibly frustrated at has blown his plans out of the water. Yes. Excuse Uh, me. And and so in, in that instant, he felt like his hand was forced. But in releasing the details of that website, it did put his grandmother in a very not not to be too dramatic, but it was quite a dangerous position because, as you say, the optics, if the royal family says no to any of that, then they look like the uber bad guys. Mm. But at the same time, the royal family are not just answering to Harry and Meghan in this instance. They have the country to think about. It's tricky. Yes, very. And something I think will continue to be tricky over the over the weeks and perhaps even months ahead because although this statement makes it very clear and I'll I'll finish it shortly it makes it very clear that they got what they wanted in terms of stepping back as senior royals but there are so many elements of this that haven't been figured out yet I mean still as we speak the conversations about financing and their own personal finances continue and I think it's going to take a long time to reach any solution 
on that front because as much as everyone has said that yes Harry and Meghan have their own thing I don't think anyone even knew how they were going to deliver it even after they publicly announced that it was going to happen Yes, I mean, it's it's very true that Harry and Meghan are independently wealthy, but most of Harry's money is tied up in investments. It's investment rich, cash poor, shall we say. Mm-hmm. Um, and as much money as they may have in their combined wealth, security alone is an astronomical sum. So just the logistics around financing, I think, are going to take months. And of course, in any separation, finances tend to be the biggest quandary. But then we look ahead to the other logistics. There's the key logistics, which is security. They have to have security. They're prime targets. But what does that security look like? There's the funding. There's where are they going to live? There's the titles. But then the knock-on effect, what happens to all of their patronages? How much time do they spend in the UK? Do they appear at Trooping the Colour? What happens at Remembrance Sunday? What about Harry's ceremonial military roles? It goes on and on and on. And the thing is, all of these elements have to be tied together before they reach a final conclusion because there's no room for error once they're gone. And I think that's where the the figures behind the scenes from the government, the palace, the host country's government, they've really got their work cut out for them because they can't afford to let anything not be decided upon. Absolutely. And, and of course, as, as you as you point out, this is... This is something that once it's set in stone, that is that, and it will become the blueprint for potentially future royals. I, I know from speaking with sources within Team Sussex that Harry obviously did this for him and his own family, but he really did it to create an option for, should we say, spares in the royal family in the future as well. You know, whatever is decided for the Sussexes today may be something that Louis or Charlotte want to take sort of advantage of in the future so they have to step very very carefully to make this work perfectly because as we saw with Edward and Sophie in the past it has been attempted and it did fail and failed quite spectacularly, didn't it? And and this is where it's very tricky. The Queen is notorious. When there's any kind of ruckus in the royal family, she goes back to tradition and precedent. That's why there was such a brouhaha about the flag at half-mast over Buckingham Palace when Diana passed away. Uh, there was... She always relies on tradition. Well, there is no tradition for this. Yes, some people have compared it to the abdication crisis of 1936. But in my view, it's very different to that. Edward VIII was forced out. His role was considered no longer constitutionally possible. Harry and Meghan are choosing to leave. So it's coming up with a severance package, I suppose, if we're looking at this as a business, that's going to work for them. But crucially, Omid, I think you really hit the nail on the head with what you just said, is it has to be something a model that works for future generations because everyone's going to get very confused. Are are they in? Are they out? And when we look to the future, this is the opportunity to create a precedent so that then there's no room for error moving forwards. The British public start to get really wobbly when their confidence is shaken and confidence had already been rattled in the wake of the Prince Andrew debacle. Um, Hence the big airs push over Christmas. That was not related to the Sussexes, as some have suggested. That was Mm. all about, don't worry everyone, Andrew's gone, but look, the monarchy is safe, it's secure, there's continuity, we're all good. And then, boom, we hit 2020. So I think really it's, it's important that they get this right. And so optimistic as it might be of the Queen to expect a quick resolution, I think she'd love a quick resolution, this is not going to be quick. 
No, not at all. And this statement that that did go out on the 13th spoke about this period of transition, but suddenly didn't put any time over it. You know, we at the, at the start, I think all of the guidance from the palace was talking about the Queen wanting it to move forward at pace. And I think once the statement was out, it probably eased some of the pressure off, because I think, as we've said, it will take a long time to figure out how to really sort of manage this new territory. You know, the one thing that stood out to me in this statement was that it's probably the first time I've ever seen the Queen or heard the Queen speak openly and publicly about money. I don't think I ever thought I would have seen the day that a statement would come out from the Queen talking about money, which is probably something that's so low class and beneath <laughs> to even get into. Mm-hmm. And here we are. It's all it's sort of sort of airing the family dirty laundry in public. <laughs> there must have been and this is just my own speculation. I certainly have no insight into the Queen's thoughts. Uh, as many might claim to do. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um but there must have been some awkwardness there when putting together this statement. Yes, I think so. I mean, money's always divisive, isn't it? And it's the thing the royal family get criticised for most. There's this suggestion that the royal family are the richest people in the in the world and the Queen owns Britannia and she owns the royal train and she owns the crown jewels. And of course, we know she doesn't own any of those things. They all belong to the state. Yes, of course, she is independently wealthy, but not she doesn't have anything like the money that people often suggest she does. But money is tricky. And I think where it gets really tricky moving forwards is uh, this idea that the Sussexes are keen to be financially independent. Now, I think to be commended that they want to step away from the sovereign grant, if they're not going to be full-time working royals, then that's the correct way to go. But at the same time, they they have suggested they want to maintain their 95% funding from Prince Charles. It's difficult to combine that with a private income from what could be potentially uh, very lucrative endorsements, Mm -hmm. sponsorships, the speakers circuit. There are going to be companies lining up in the US alone to throw opportunities at the Sussexes. They are a, a commercial brand that could be incredibly successful. But like we said with Edward and Sophie, that's never worked before because If the taxpayer to any degree is funding Harry and Meghan, even the tiniest amount, how do you equate that alongside them earning, I don't know, a hypothetical figure, but $100,000, let's say, on the low end from a commercial endorsement? Um, That's very tricky to navigate and nothing's going to wind the British public up more than Mm. money. Um, So I think certainly for the time being, that's going to be the trickiest area to navigate. Absolutely. I think so much of this is about freedom for the Sussexes in a way. But I think by almost coming to this deal with the Queen, um, where it's, you know, this sort of half in half out model that they've themselves are put forward i think they probably also put a lot of restrictions on themselves because uh financial independence would seem quite easy for a couple like the sussexes but i think the amount of people that will be involved in the decisions that they make because i don't think they'll i think they'll have to always have transparency with the firm it's going to make it really difficult uh, for them to actually go ahead and earn that money in a way that sort of keeps everyone in the clear and safe. Well, I think last week, Omid, when you were chatting to Chris, you raised 
what to me is the most crucial point, and it's ensuring clean money. Because, yeah. uh, yes, money is going to be thrown at them. I, I think the, the Sussexes' earning potential is enormous, but it's ensuring that money comes from sources that are not unscrupulous. It's happened to so many public figures where they've endorsed a brand only and, and done so with, with the very best of intentions and having done probably what they think is the utmost due diligence, but only to find out that that money is not clean. It's come from unscrupulous sources. And I think you've just used actually a very interesting choice of words too in terms of freedom. And I think, yes, the Sussexes are really in a major bid for freedom here, but they're never going to be entirely free because even as private citizens, let's say they they become fully-fledged private citizens, Harry is a blood prince. They Mm -hmm. are still royal. Whatever they do is going to reflect on the royal family. So there are going to be restrictions because, yes, they may want to get a little bit more political but they can't because that reflects on the Queen and her need to remain politically neutral. If they get involved in a company that then turns out to have unscrupulous funding, that reflects on the royal family. So in one sense that there is the protection, the umbrella of monarchy that is there to make sure that any money comes from clean sources, they're not going to have that. So the restrictions, I think, are going to be just as stringent. Mm. I'm glad you brought up um, being political because... You know, I, I I always assumed that one of the things that they would have really appreciated about sort of having their own working model was that they could finally engage in politics in, in some kind of way, whether that is sort of related to uh, the sort of eco and conservation work that Harry's doing or whether it's Meghan getting more and sort of deeper involved with women's issues and the fight for equality around the world. I would imagine that that's something that they that would have really appealed to them. But by keeping one foot in the royal family, technically they're bound to the same rules that they were before, which is remaining apolitical. Yes, I think so. And it's interesting, that political line, isn't it? Because we've seen the royals dabble as close as they possibly mm. can. William with his conservation and taking on the poaching epidemic. Prince Charles with his uh, climate change and plastics. Um, We've seen a number of royals walk that very fine line where it could tip over into being ever so slightly too political. Camilla and Sophie with the rights of women. Of course, Meghan, that's an area that she's championed as well. Um, I think they're still going to be on that tightrope. And yes, I think you're absolutely right, Omid. Part of this freedom is about being able to have a more concrete voice. Mm. But that voice is never going to be entirely free simply because whatever they do reflects on the monarchy. Heaven forbid they inadvertently offend another world leader uh, and then the Queen is then left to patch over that relationship as the government would require her to do. It gets incredibly complex. Um, And so I think as much as releasing the sovereign grant funding does to a tiny degree release the restraints of royal life, it doesn't release all of them. No, you know, it's often the the private secretaries and, and, and those close senior aides that ensure that members of the royal family are saying the right thing in a speech or getting involved in the rights, with the right organisation. That's often the kind of buffer. That's the sort of safety net, should we say, for, yep, for, for yep. members of the royal family. Right. When you remove the sovereign grant, that means those people are technically no longer present during certain decisions that the couple will have to make. I 
the, those, this is an area, and I, I, I wish I could sort of end this point with some kind of conclusion. I don't know how they're going to handle that. I don't know how that's going to work because I don't know if they can guarantee that they're not going to bring any kind of issues for the royal family moving forward. And this is where it'll also get tricky with the press coverage because as Megan has shown this week, she's keen to hit the ground running. She made two appearances at at women's organisations in Vancouver. Um, Those weren't royal engagements. Uh, She went. We're not quite sure who arranged that, an assistant apparently. Mm. Um, But the thing is as well, with them in another country, they could uh, go off and do whatever engagements it is they want to do. They may think that all the checks and balances have been in place and then boom, something untoward perhaps is associated, not because Harry and Meghan did anything wrong, no. but just because there wasn't that buffer that, that you that you just mentioned. So then, of course, the press has a field day. So I think as well, Harry and Meghan thinking that they're stepping away from the royal family means the press attention is going to die down. Well, it may not be the royal rota covering them, but there'll be international political reporters, entertainment reporters, financial reporters. The scrutiny is still going to be there, even though they may choose to take up-and-coming grassroots organisations with them to an engagement, or even if they just purely post things on their own social media feed, there's still going to be scrutiny. And unfortunately, even as private members of the royal family, they're never going to escape that, as Peter Phillips showed during the, was that the Queen's birthday or the Jubilee, when the he had the the party on the mound. Oh, yes. Yeah. And, and that all just blew up in his face. Um, so, I, yeah, I, I'm with you, Omid. There's just more questions than answers still. Yeah. It makes me wonder whether the, the intention for this move was always for it to be temporary and that the final goal is complete sort of private citizen status, i.e. no affiliation with the royal family whatsoever. Is this something that has been done to almost sort of please the Queen, in a way, by keeping one foot in. But the second that perhaps that changes and Prince Charles becomes king, maybe that's an opportunity for the couple to take the next step, which would be moving away from it completely. Completely. That's a very interesting theory because I think Harry is utterly devoted to his grandmother always has mm-hmm. been um you you saw their warm relationship of course in the mic drop video that he did with her yeah. i mean there's no one else in the family the queen would have done that with and you could see she was having fun with it she's got a great sense of humor um so i think i think that was done definitely to sort of couch what Harry will have known would have been terribly upsetting for the Queen. I think it's important to point out she's not disappointed at them. She's disappointed in this decision that it's Mm. come to this. Um, They are going with her blessing. She clearly stated that she wishes they would stay, but she understands they want to go. So how can we make this work? But I I agree with you, Amid. I think that one foot in was done more just to say, Granny, we're we're not abandoning you. We are still here. We don't want to leave you in the lurch. It's just we need something else in order for us to really be happy in our lives moving forwards. Mm -hmm. I think it's fair to say that when Harry and Meghan first got married, this was not their intention. I think they really wanted to do as much as they could in the name of the Queen and as members of the royal family. Things obviously changed over that time and I wanted to ask you what your 
thoughts were on on what it is that brought Harry and Meghan to this point. What factors? Because I think everyone's tried to sort of put it all on the press or they've tried to put it all on perhaps a a toxic relationship within the household. Mm -hmm. But what is it that you think took them to this point? I think there are a number of factors, Omid. You know, it's always easy to lay blame at one door, but Mm. there's so many factors here, particularly in the royal family. There is no question the press has played its role. Um, It's very difficult to cope with the day-in, day-out criticism, particularly the type of criticism that was levelled at Meghan. And much as people will deny it, in my view, there has been elements of sexism, racism, anti-Americanism couched in whatever way people might want to couch it, but Mm. it's been there. Um, Yes, Meghan's coverage is very different to Diana. It's true that Diana was absolutely hounded and chased. She couldn't walk out the door without a legion of photographers following her. So Meghan hasn't had that. But what Meghan has had to contend with are inaccurate stories being beamed around the world on a digital platform in a nanosecond, Uh, the viciousness of social media, the comments that are under some of the articles are heinous. Uh, All of those things together for a young girl that highly educated, uh, independently successful, thought she was coming in ready to hit the ground running, had given up her home, her job, one of her Mm -hmm. dogs, her country, uh, everything to try and do this right. So that will have been incredibly difficult. So, of course, yes, to some degree, the press has definitely played its part. There's also been suggestions that Buckingham Palace didn't offer public support in a way that perhaps could have helped Meghan. Now, we know... On occasion, yes, they do come out and support, but it's rare. Um, Their feeling is that if they come out and offer support, all that does is further fuel a story. Is it right? No, this would indicate that perhaps it's not. The model has changed. That might have worked years before. That doesn't necessarily work anymore. I think the royals tried to show support. The Queen, of course, took Meghan on the royal train. They spent the night. I don't believe William and Harry have ever spent the night on Mm, the royal mm. train. Uh, There was lovely footage in the days after the wedding of Meghan interacting with Charles and Camilla at the garden party um, at Buckingham Palace for Charles's birthday. It's clear there was a warm relationship there. But I think it would be wrong of us as well to assume there was absolutely no support behind the scenes. Just because we can't see it doesn't mean it's not there. But perhaps it wasn't the type of support that Meghan and Harry needed. Then, of course, there's clearly been some bad blood between brothers that's uh, become ever more apparent that it is worse than than people had originally thought. Um, And also Harry and Meghan, as, as much as they've been the ones that have felt ostracized by everything, they would have played a role to some degree as well that there are three sides to every story right there's Mm. the each side's story and then the truth in the middle um and people's perception of how they've been treated is not always going to be uh, agreed upon by the other party so i think while we can all play the blame game there are so many factors here um and it would be wrong to just assume it's been one entity that has caused this just in the papers i think overnight um There's been a lot about how it's been more the lack of support from the palace than it has been the press. So it sort of changes every day in terms of whose fault it is. Um, I just hope that a lot of lessons have been learned as a result. Absolutely. I think, you know, perhaps one of the biggest mistakes Meghan made, and I've heard this from sources close to her, is that 
she naively went in thinking that this role came almost with a sort of instant popularity mm-hmm. that you're given you already start in a good place and that there is this no matter what there is a honeymoon period that comes with sort of marrying into the royal family that mm-hmm. allows you to perhaps falter at times or figure something out or whatever it is and I think that that was one of the key things is that towards the end she felt she was not given that that by the press by members of the royal family by aides or courtiers within the within the households i think everyone somehow had this level of expectation from her from the get-go that was perhaps somewhat unrealistic and perhaps she herself had some unrealistic expectations from the role too yeah when you're caught up in the optimism of your uh, approaching wedding and and the reception she got from the crowds when they went to the engagements when prior to the wedding uh, was rapturous she was given a rapturous welcome but I thought even we all know how it works the honeymoon period has a has a short shelf life but this was incredibly short uh, for me where I felt like it really did a 180 was when they got back from their trip to Australia New Zealand Tonga yeah. and, and Fiji um, that tour was incredibly successful I, I just thought it was off the charts as mm, royal tours mm. go and I think they will have come home flying high exhausted but wow job well done um, and suddenly it turned. Uh, why? I couldn't say. But that seemed to me to be the, the the real pivotal turning point. And I think for somebody that's new into this, that will have been uh, just overwhelming. And Megan also came from a background where if there's an incorrect story in the press, a publicist is going to get on the line and say, correct this, that's not right, that's mm. not true. That doesn't happen in the royal family. Um, and also the royal family would need an office the size of the Empire State Building if they were trying to refute every single <laughs> worldwide incorrect story. That's why it's yeah. like, uh, you know, what, what are we going to do? It's out there. It's done. Um, but I think for Meghan, too, that will have been really quite distressing. Absolutely. There's still so much more to say on that. But before we move anywhere further, I just want to take a quick break and then we'll come back. I've got a long list here, Victoria. I want to go back to um, what we were talking about with the media. I think a lot of blame has been put on the media for this and also particularly the Royal Rota. And I wanted to sort of make a distinction here that the Royal Rota, I think the couple's issue with the Royal Rota may not be members of the Royal Rota themselves, but the fact that each one of them represents a newspaper, a publication or a tabloid, whatever you want to call them, that has written negatively or inappropriately about the couple throughout the time that they've been together. I don't know many members of the Rota who have behaved in any kind of inappropriate manner throughout this period, but I think that the couple have always found it really difficult to face anyone that sort of stands proudly representing a newspaper that has just allowed a columnist to make uh, racially inappropriate comments about Meghan. I I think that they have always found it difficult to separate it all and, and see them as very different things. 
I think that's a very good point, Omid. And as we know, too, that uh, so often the headline very rarely matches the context of the actual piece. And so people are responding to headlines because, of course, in this day and age where newspapers are floundering, floundering, um, clickbait has become so important. Uh, A headline that's going to get someone to click is going to then drive advertising revenue. And when there's so much competition from all these online entities, that's why we had literally back to back. Honestly, I wanted to gouge my eyes out over the protocol (laughs) stories. It was ridiculous. Uh, But it just became a narrative that just kept flowing. And when you've got countries outside of the UK that really just don't even know what protocol is, they they ran with it. um, And there was Mm. no way to try and rein that back in. Um, And of course, we know negativity sells. People are much more likely to click on an incendiary headline than one that's all peachy keen. Um, So I, I think you raise a very good point there, Omid. It is difficult when there's a reputable reporter that's a part of the Royal Rota. And that same reporter is part of a publication that has published hit job after hit job after hit job um Mm. it's it would be difficult to face them because it's they really i suppose harry and megan would be looking at them as part of the big picture not as an individual I think there's been somewhat of a missed opportunity here within the royal family because megan was very different to anyone else that had married into the royal family before being american being biracial And whilst the royal family have never publicly stood up for any of its own before, I think that there's always been this sort of like uh, conscious effort to avoid getting into conflict with the press or taking on the tabloids. I think there were times where it would have helped and benefited everyone to have said something, whether that is from William himself or a press officer or someone speaking publicly i think the fact that a lot of this stuff went on and it wasn't denounced by anyone is really one of the sticking points for the couple and i don't think it looks particularly good for the royal family at this point that they had a american biracial woman marry into the family that they failed to really held the hand of and get her through it all Instead, they let her reach a point where she felt that there was no other way forward other than to step back. And that's where you wonder why lessons haven't been acknowledged from the past. When Diana passed away, so many lessons were learned in that time period. But you would have thought that holding the hands of a newbie would be one of the most important. And it's interesting because early in Diana and Charles's relationship, the Queen did call a meeting at Buckingham Palace for newspaper editors. And the goal of the meeting was to ask them to lay off. It was Mm. just give this poor woman a break. Well, two weeks after that meeting, Diana was photographed in the Caribbean in a bikini, pregnant. Those pictures were all over the front pages. Uh, There was no way the tabloids were going to lay off. Um, And I think had a member of the royal family come out and said something, chances are they wouldn't have laid off Meghan either. But at least there would have been a concerted effort to change the course of history in terms of those lessons learned. Uh, It could have been seen as a very positive move by people outside of the UK who don't really understand how the monarchy works in quite the same way as the Brits. So I agree with you, Omid. I I think it 
it would have been really nice even to have more of a show. Okay, if you're not going to say something, you should say something. But if you're not going to say something, then let's have more engagements together. Um, mm. Because there's nothing like the Queen showing up with Meghan or Camilla showing up with Meghan to an engagement. Charles, to say she has our support, we're, we're with her. But there just kind of wasn't anything. It was almost like everyone buried their heads in the sands and sand and were, and were paralyzed by what do we do? We haven't faced something like this before. Okay, let's not do anything. Um, mm. And that was just as damaging. There, I, I would say because of a lot of the press coverage, the couple's popularity in the UK has always been very sort of split down the middle. People either love them and, and often why they're suddenly fans of the royal family. Uh, and there are people that can't stand them because perhaps they represent things that just don't fit in with their own beliefs, whether that's uh, the, their support of Greta Thunberg or being woke, which, you know, I hate even using that word at this point because it's almost been turned into an insult right. by yeah, the press yeah. and commentators, certainly in the last couple of weeks. Um, but this sort of very, I guess, aware, socially aware couple didn't quite fit in with uh, perhaps a more sort of traditional royal watcher. Do you think that their popularity in the UK will ever improve? It depends really how they proceed, Omid. I mean, I think from what I gather, and of course I'm in New York, but from everything I've seen and listened to and read this week, it strikes me that the majority of the British public is supportive of Harry and Meghan wanting to go their own way. I think uh, a lot of people are kind of cheering Harry on because he is standing up for his wife in a way Diana was never defended. Mm. Um, so I think to some degree, the British public is is very much in favour of, of this decision they've taken. If it means they're going to have a happier life, go for it. Where it's going to become a problem and we come full circle is back to money. Mm. Um, because uh, money is always an issue and money is what makes the monarchy so divisive uh, for people all over the nation. Um, and so really it depends on how they proceed. I think it's going to get people's backs up if they suddenly have commercial endorsements that are £100 million or if they show up to do a sponsorship deal instead of showing up to a Remembrance Sunday event. We don't know if they're going to be part of Remembrance Sunday events. And so it's very tricky. I wish I had a crystal ball here to sort mm. of see how this is all going to pan out. Um, I think Harry is so popular. Anyone that's watched Harry grow up just has a deep-rooted affection for him in the past, you know, after the whole Vegas nightmare um, where other royals will have been heavily chastised for it. Harry was a hero. It was everyone wants to date him, be his best friend, be his mum, just hang out with him. Um, Harry just has managed to walk that line where he can be a bit cheeky and naughty, but people just love him. And I think, too, because when they see him on the job, he's such a pro. Even at at Buckingham Palace yesterday, it would have been very difficult to walk out to that press lineup. But the minute you put him with kids, he lights up. He was funny and cheeky and charming, and it was Harry at his best. So I think there's always going to be that affection for Harry, but it's just going to be how they proceed that will determine how they're received back home. And Mm. I think people are hoping they'll come back home at some point. Nobody wants to lose them forever. Um, But obviously, I think for the time being, they don't want to be in the UK. Yeah, it's interesting. You you, you say you talk about them sort of going forever. I think that somehow sort of has been 
the tone of a lot of the coverage that somehow we're mourning the loss right. of this couple. <laughs> yes. Like Harry's disappearing died. And never yeah, nobody's died. <laughs> <laughs> uh, which is incredible, actually, because a lot of the coverage when they were here doing the work, doing what was expected of them as senior members of the royal family, they were often told to go away, go home. I think it was the Times that said, fly away, Megan. Um, and now they've, they're going and everyone's saying, how dare you? It's... <laughs> right. Yes. Welcome to the press. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but it's, uh, yeah, I think it'll be really interesting to see how how they navigate the weeks ahead because I think that whether they like it or not there does have to be a sort of some damage control at yeah. play here um it is probably a, the dream job for any you know experienced publicist or crisis management like team yeah. yes yes to to turn this around um thankfully one place they do have a lot of support is Canada which is where they'll be spending a lot of the months ahead as we go through this period of transition that the Queen spoke about we don't know how long that period will last for but I would imagine it will be to sort of allow us to get to sort of a conclusion of everything be it finances security how all of this stuff's going to be covered do you think Canada will remain their base after that who knows? Who knows? Mm. I mean, but for the time being, you're right. Uh, Canada ticks all the boxes, doesn't it? It's a immensely popular Commonwealth realm. Uh, they have an understanding of the monarchy there. It's always been a great refuge for royals. When royals have gone there on tour, they've been incredibly well received. So I understand Canada, not to mention Meghan's history with Canada. Mm. They were able to date there uh, and be pretty much left alone. Of course, she has a long history of living there. I guess Canada feels like home to Meghan. Um, so it sort of ticks all the boxes in terms of why it is a, a, a good option for them for the time being. I think the, what was it, the Globe, the, the newspaper piece that came out yesterday that was rather critical of them being there, that strikes me at the moment as the minority opinion. Um, yeah. Again, it'll come down to that old chestnut money um, as to how security is funded, as to whether or not Canadians get their backs up. But I think at the moment, the couple stands to have a very warm welcome from mm. Canada. Whether that is long-term remains to be seen. There's been a lot of talk of them moving to Los Angeles. I'd be surprised if they went there. I don't see Harry in particular as particularly happy in Los Angeles. I, I could be wrong, but mm. um, it's the paparazzi there is notorious and pictures of Archie are going to be incredibly valuable. Um, celebrities such as Jennifer Garner, Reese Witherspoon, Catherine Zeta-Jones have all taken on the paparazzi when pictures of their children have been taken. I think it was years ago someone hit Catherine Zeta-Jones in her car when she had her kids in the car. Yeah. Um, without royal protection, uh, the the umbrella of royal protection, um, the paparazzi can have a field day. So I worry for them in that regard if they come to the US. Canada tends to leave its public figures and its celebrities alone yeah well there's no paparazzi culture out there i think exactly the only right. photographers really trying to get pictures of the couple right now have actually flown in funnily enough from la uh specifically to try and get pictures of megan out and about and we have seen her uh, there were pictures that were published today she was uh, at, at the airports i think in uh, victoria picking up a friend uh, heather durack uh, who we last saw with Megan at the royal wedding, but is, is a long-time friend of hers. And she seems, Megan seems to be just sort of trying to get on with it. Um, that's probably one thing she has picked up from the royal family, which is just get on with things. Don't 
dwell. Um, and this, I think, seeing her out and about, seeing her take on work so quickly. I mean, for her, it must have felt like years because, of course, she hasn't really been doing much publicly for a while. But um, I think for, for some, it was quite a surprise to see her out and about doing work and getting involved with charity so quickly. Well, and she's got to get on with it, right? Because you don't want to be a prisoner in your own home. I mean, mm. the house they're staying in looks lovely. Um, I'm, I'm sure it's wonderful, but they've been there uh, since Thanksgiving, as I understand it. So uh, they've been closeted away for quite a long time. And I think this is a, a woman who likes to work, um, mm. always has done. She's independently successful in her own right. So um, you can see why she'd want to get on with it. But really, that's where I think the royal family need to come up with at least a temporary solution right now. Because as she gets on with it, how did she visit those women's organizations this week? Was it in a royal capacity? Was it in a private capacity? Um, and they're going to want to make sure that whatever she's doing isn't overshadowing a big event that's happening in the UK. Mm. That's where it all gets a little murky as well. But I'm sure she's very eager to get on with her life, uh, to get doing what it is she loves to do, and also start illustrating the kind of model for what it is they want to be doing post-royal life. Well, exactly. If you look on the Sussex Royal website, it, you know, it, it, it does outline which areas that Harry and Meghan want to be involved in. You know, when they talk about wanting to support communities around the world. Uh, and of course, we see with Harry, it, it talks about environmental well-being and so societal well-being. But for Meghan, it's simply empowerment of women and girls. And so to see her step out in Vancouver, visiting two small ish organizations um, that fit within that theme it showed them that they were very serious about what it was that they proposed um, and that they were keen you know keen to start doing that as soon as possible I'm sure we'll see Harry following suit uh, as soon as he does go back to Canada um, when that is it's not hasn't been confirmed yet he is staying in London this weekend I believe he has uh, some kind of meeting with Sintabale at the weekend and then a couple of other meetings next week probably sticking around to see some of this logistical talk through, I would imagine. Yeah, much better to handle that in person, I think. Um, there's no question, Omid, this this couple has an amazing capacity to do good. Uh, they can dilute Republican tendencies as well if they handle things correctly in Canada, if there is any sense of Republican rising. Mm -hmm. That's normally limited to Australia, but of course Canada can <laughs> have its moments too. Um, I think there's no question they have a, a enormous potential moving forwards. They just have to tread really carefully in these initial stages to make sure that everything's above board um, and that everyone's protected um, so that they're able to do what they want to achieve, so that they're able to lead the happy life that they want to lead, but also still protect the monarchy. And that'll be important to both of them, but especially Harry. That's all he's ever known. And he's not going to want to stab Granny in the back. Um, so I think he's keen to to make sure that he's doing what he can for his family, his blood family, but while mm. also uh, standing up for his wife and son and ensuring that the three of them are able to lead the kind of life they want to lead. Now, of course, alongside all of this drama that's taken place, there have been relentless sort of wall-to-wall -wall coverage in the tabloids. A lot of it not true. And I wondered if anything had stood out to you um, or sort of to file in the ridiculous part <laughs> last week. <laughs> Oh, gosh, Omid, I feel like I'm such a blur of all the silliness <laughs> that's gone down. Um, well, it's interesting. There was a story last night uh, 
that broke in one of the papers about Harry and Meghan letting go of all their staff at Frogmore Cottage, almost sort of painting a picture that they're never going to come back. <laughs> right. um, and I think one website picked it up and said that shock sackings had taken place on the Windsor estate. Um, and of course, you look into it, it's actually a model that Windsor Estate has always followed, which is when a residence or if a, an area no longer needs service, that member of staff will move to a different area of the estate. It'll be redeployed. Yeah, but th- you just illustrated a perfect example of a story that starts out as sort of a nugget of information delivered in a slightly tabloidy fashion that then explodes into evil Harry and Meghan, wicked Mm. bosses, do away with all their staff. I mean, that right there, I think, goes back to the point you were making earlier, Omid, about Harry and Meghan being frustrated that one story is taken in a fairly legitimate fashion and then it just explodes. It's like the worst game of Chinese whispers that goes on around the world. Um, The other thing I've sort of found a really interesting debate this week is the number of people that are saying, look, it works for the Swedish and royals. It works Mm. for the European royals. Why can't we do a model just like them? And I think it's difficult to compare to them because none of them have a reach quite like the royal family does. None of them are held to account in quite the way the royal family is. Um, So it's, yeah, it's it's a nice idea to think we can model off one of the European royal families, but I think that's looking through it through rose-tinted glasses just a little bit. Uh, The royal family is its own entity, the British royal family, um, and it's always played by a slightly different set of rules. So they may be looking towards the European royals for some kind of model in terms of how this will work moving forwards. But I I think it's like comparing apples and oranges, the British royals with the European royals. Absolutely. There are there is an engagement coming up next week uh, with the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge hosting a summit. uh, Sorry hosting a reception at Buckingham Palace to mark the UK-Africa Investment Summit. Now, I think some people were quite surprised that they'll be accompanied by the Earl and Countess of Wessex uh, and the Princess Royal for this. And I wondered if we're now starting to see things that could have been done with the Sussexes, sort of like replacements drafted in, because I remember being on the Southern Africa tour and it was Harry and Meghan that both uh, attended a reception uh, that was building up to the announcement of this UK Africa investment summit and suddenly we've got the Wessexes being sort of drafted in on this one do you think that there ha- there is now this sort of conscious effort being made uh, within the royal family for everyone to sort of pick up what Harry and Meghan may be leaving behind I think so Omid I mean this is a classic engagement that the Sussexes normally would have been in attendance for wouldn't it have been great this would be a great fab for engagement yeah. uh, no longer but yes I think this is a, a prime example of the royal family presenting a united front all hands on deck um, we can do this it's a it's a show that, that things might be a bit wobbly but mm. we've got other people we can draft in it's interesting because they've lost three key players in less than three months. Um, So we're very much going to see uh, other members of the family step up and fill in the voids, fill in the gaps. We have quite an elderly royal family. When we look at the Queen's Mm. cousins, um, they're all getting up there. Uh, Princess Anne will be 70 this year. The Sussexes really are the only ones that are, I think, am I I right there, that are sort of a a bit younger. Um, 
So I think we are going to see all of them sort of come together and try to fill in voids so that there's a sense that there is no void. Um, there is an irreplaceable void with Harry and Meghan gone from the fold. Um, but yes, Omid, I think. Now, who's to say the, Sus- the Wessexes weren't always included in Monday's engagement? Yes, I the guess they are remaining tight-lipped. Yeah, that, of course. Um, I... I I guess they weren't always included, um, but we'll start to see them included more and more, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Some people have suggested that maybe we'll see more of Beatrice and Eugenie. I'm not sure if I can see that happening. No, it's interesting, isn't it? I've always I've always liked Beatrice and Eugenie. You know, mm. they're, they're chastised for the sins of their parents and their parents have let them down countless times. Um, but they're the only blood royals of their generation and I think they have a lot to offer. I was really impressed at Eugenie's wedding in particular. There she is showing her uh, scoliosis scar and Beatrice, who's dyslexic, gave a very impressive reading and they will have inspired countless young girls and women that Mm. day um, with their choices. I think they have a lot to offer, but unfortunately, in the wake of Prince Andrew, there's just too much negativity attached. Now, moving forwards, who knows, when we look to the future and the reign of Charles III, William and Kate are going to be the only working royals of their generation. Uh, I know we wanted a slim down monarchy, but that is very <laughs> slim. Um, and, you know, in the past, the Queen's cousins have helped her enormously. It would be lovely to see William and Kate's cousins be able to step into the fray and help. But I don't see it. I, I don't think that's going to be the model moving forwards. Um Beatrice and Eugenie, it's a shame because I think they do have a lot to offer. But unfortunately, with them comes the the Prince Andrew story. Um, mm. So I don't think that's going to happen just yet. Well, over the days ahead, we will hopefully hear more on the Sussexes situation from members of the royal family and see Harry go back to back to Canada because this is officially the longest he's been away from his family and I'm sure he's probably really feeling that right now. Yeah, FaceTime's great, but not when you are missing watching babies change so much, don't they, in the in the early days. I'm sure he's very keen as well to have the comfort of his family around. You know, he's just kind of out there on his own a little bit at the moment and and having to deal with all of this uh without being able to go home to his wife and baby, it's its tough. I think mm. Harry's in an incredibly difficult position because regardless of whatever rift has gone on behind the scenes, he does love his family and he has enjoyed a very close relationship. Um, yeah, things are difficult at the moment, but like any family, that doesn't mean you hate them all and you want to cut them off forever and ever. It's just incredibly sensitive, difficult, emotional. Um, it must be tough. Mm. You've been watching these kinds of stories unfold for for, for quite some time. <laughs> if you were to give the couple some advice at this point on how to sort of take their next steps, what would your sort of key... I think Omid really is just take it slow. Um, there is, of course, a desperation to get this resolved as quickly as possible. Uh, there's been a lot of emotion involved. There's been a lot of hot-headed reaction to situations. And I think my advice for them would be the same to everybody that's watching this unfold. Uh, this is unprecedented, but there is very much a family at the core of, of this dilemma. And I think it would be beneficial to just take everything very slowly to ensure there's no more bad blood, to try and heal the wounds that have inevitably led to this decision, um, and to just take their time. Uh, 
anything that's done in a rash fashion tends to backfire. Um, yeah. So I think just just take it slow. It will sort out. This too shall pass, as the old adage goes. <laughs> yeah. um, it's just going to take a while. So be patient. Yeah. I, I checked in with a, a source close to the couple who said that they are still incredibly anxious at the moment. And I think that fear of not knowing what tomorrow brings um, is still very much within them. But as you say, I think time will go by and hopefully... Uh, we'll be able to see them truly embrace these new roles that they will take on. Um, because I think that as much as we talk about them being gone and leaving and so on, I don't think it will be radically different on the royal front. I still think we'll see uh, work with the patronages. I think that we'll still see them at all of the big occasions with members of the royal family. And I think we'll see them doing occasional engagements, maybe even overseas trips in the Queen's name. So in some ways, how is that any different to before when sort of alongside that, they're complementing it with work that's very much in the same vein that we've seen from them up until this point? And I do wonder if we'll, if in six months' time, everyone will look back and think, oh, it's not actually that much different. Uh, you're so right. This feels massive at the moment, simply because it's so unprecedented, also because the couple are so popular uh, in terms of uh, public reception around the world. Ultimately, this will just be another blip in the thousand-year tapestry that is mm. the British monarchy. Uh, it is a massive turning point, there's no question. But uh, as I said yesterday, it's something that the royals have survived war, revolution, reformation, abdication. They will survive this. Harry and Meghan will survive this. It just feels overwhelming, I think, for everybody at the moment. But they will find a resolution. They will move forwards. And I think it's up to all of us to try and say, okay, what good can come from this? You know, maybe that's a bit Pollyanna of me, but uh, there's no <laughs> point dwelling on the misery. It's like, okay, this is happening. Let's make the best of it. Absolutely. Well, Victoria, I hope that the next time we catch up, things the dust will have settled somewhat. Here's hoping. <laughs> Babies and weddings, Omid. That's what we like. Exactly. Well, thank you, everyone, for listening this week. Uh, appreciate all the tweets. I hope that we've answered. I put, printed off a long list, Victoria, of all the th questions everyone had to uh, ask this week. And so I feel like we have gone through that list. So I hopefully hope so. everyone's a little clearer on, on things, how things are going. Um, as clear as you can be, because I'm perhaps not fully clear on it. I know, we've still got more questions and answers, don't we? <laughs> exactly. Uh, but do join us next week for more on the Sussexes' next move um, and hopefully some news on other members of the Royal Family because they are still working, they're still doing stuff. Uh, thank you again to Mike Dubusky and Eric Mollo in New York for bringing the show together and until the next one, see you then. Mm -hmm.